Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. A very warm welcome, everyone. It's Paul Lowe here. Many thanks for listening into this Mastery the Game of Life podcast, where I'm absolutely honoured to be undertaking an interview with Sherry Forsyth, a life vision coach from South Africa. She shares her invaluable insights around her journey from health to healing. I know firsthand that Sherry has an extremely inspiring story to tell, and I was honoured to be a co-author with her in the Speaking from Our Hearts book. She is truly a shining example of where faith and resilience can lead us to. So Sherry, perhaps we could take a few minutes to set the scene, started by you giving an overview of your chapter in the book. Um, thank you, Paul. I would be, uh, be honoured to do that. Um, essentially, the chapter in the book goes around um, the journey that we experienced as a result of the loss of our younger daughter, uh, Kerry, when she was nine years old. Um, due to uh, uh, complications following an operation, uh, she had a tumor on her pituitary gland. Uh, and this very traumatic thing happened to us 16 years ago. Um, and the book, the chapter really goes around the challenges that uh, I faced uh, as a result of her death, uh, the journey that... Um, we took as a family, how it affected me personally, and uh, how faith, uh, friendship, family, uh, all played a role in um, helping me to come to a point now in my life where I feel as much as one can that I have overcome the loss of our beloved little girl. Okay. So... I suppose my first reaction, Sherry, is, and obviously I've got the benefit of knowing all the, the ins and outs of, of, of your story, and we'll dig a bit deeper on that. But I suppose the first question is, how did you ever survive without becoming lost and sunk forever? Because I think every parent's worst nightmare is losing their child. I mean, how, how, how did you even begin to come to terms with that? You know, Paul, it is um, a question that I have thought about a lot and spoken about a lot, in fact, because actually it's a choice that one makes right at the, at the very beginning, uh, a choice that one makes to deal with the hardship, to, to learn the lessons that come from it, um, and to not allow it to completely overpower you. Having said that, it, is a it was a really, really tough journey. And there certainly were days when my resilience was very low. Um, you know, I was, I was quite ready to, to throw the towel in. 
but I think that the decision that we had made of we will overcome this. We're not quite sure how. We don't know what the journey is going to be like, but we will overcome this and and be able to carry on living, even though it will be will be very different as a result of it. And so, to answer your question, it's a choice one makes to say, uh, "I understand it's going to be difficult. I don't know uh, all the the." Um, I don't know all the hardships that are going to be thrown in my way. I don't know the nature of the journey, but I do know that I will come out at the other end uh, with positivity, with strength, with hopefully a little bit more wisdom than I had before I entered into the journey. Right, okay. So if I'm hearing correctly, Sherry, what, what you're saying is at the outset on the back of um, life delivering arguably its most devastating knockout punch, use a boxing metaphor, you actually um, individually and collectively as a family made that conscious decision to say, you know what, this hurts. We're, we're on the canvas, but we're not going to be counted out. So am I right in saying, Jerry, that that is a very deliberate conscious Vision, as you say, around choices right at the very beginning when that pain, that suffering um, is at its most acute. Uh, yes, that's absolutely correct, uh, Paul. And it was <clears throat> maybe uh, what, what uh, influenced us was there had been another family in our little village who had lost a child possibly five or, or, or six years before we did. And we watched the family fall apart. Um, there, uh, there was a lot of um, abuse, physical abuse, as a result of the loss of the little girl. The father started abusing the mother, and then the brothers also started abusing the mother. And I just remember sitting uh, on our very beautiful veranda, and uh, Mark and I talking about it and saying, that will not happen to us. So I think it was, you know, and that was probably uh, within two weeks after the loss of Kerry. So we actually uh, were still in that very numb place where um, the full impact, uh, the, the power of the emotion, the power of that devastating loss hasn't yet um, overwhelmed you. So maybe it was um, uh, a God-given uh, moment, actually, that it was before all those waves of emotion and trauma uh, uh, started attacking us, we had a moment of quiet where we could kind of set the scene so that even though there was going to be huge turmoil, which we knew would be coming, uh, we had already made the decision that we would, we would not let it uh, destroy us as a family, as a couple, and as individuals. Wow. Wow. And that, I think, for one person, um, to use that word consciousness again, Kerry, is, is oh, what's the word, what's the best word, is monumental in itself. Then when you add in the factor of adding another, i.e. Mike, your husband, adding another, i.e. Kathleen, your older daughter, then you've got a very, very complex myriad of emotions and, yeah, 
can, can you do, do, am I making sense in, in terms because I find this very very in some respects um, Sherry uplifting that somebody that's, that's undergone this horrendous experience can actually look on it in such a um, a potentially positive light you know begin, almost totally like beginning with the end in mind this is where we are going to end, end up no matter where we are now and I just think that's amazing for an individual to do that but times that by two times that by three times that by four I think is is nothing short of miraculous so uh, thank you, Paul. I, I think what, what really um, prepared me for being able to make that decision is two things. Firstly, um, I was blessed with a very positive mindset. So for me, the glass is not only half full, it's always three quarters full. And uh, the second thing is that I had been involved in sports for all my life. And uh, uh, that resilience, that um, let's just push through, let's just push through the pain, let's just train that little bit harder in order to achieve our goals. Uh, those two things together uh, combined to give me that push that I possibly needed right at the very beginning because it was very much part of who I was and who I always have been. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you say, Kerry, about the um, the benefits of physical exercise and how that positively affects the mind. I mean, on a personal level, that's something I massively subscribe to. And when I look mm. back on my journey, I know how much that's um, not only kept me going, but if I'm going to be really honest, brutally honest about it, it's actually kept me alive. Yeah, um, that, that's it's not about me. This this interview is not about me. Um, I just want to quote. Uh, Sherry, for May, um, on the first page of your story, I now had to adjust to a new normal with my husband, Mike, and our older daughter, Catherine. Normal. What, what, what became normality thereafter? Wow, what a good, what a good question, uh, Paul. Um, <clears throat> normality thereafter was, was very difficult because my... My husband, Mike, and daughter, Kathleen, are both quite quiet human beings. Uh, and Carrie and I tend to be the chatterboxes. So part of the new normal, which, which was, was really, it, 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 it was so, um, it like hit me in the face every time I came home, was the silence in our home. Mike and Kath, even if they were at home, they were generally quieter people. And so... The, the new normal incorporated a very, very much more silent home uh, that I wasn't used to. And I, um, I probably could have made a lot of noise by talking to myself, but uh, then I think a lot of people would have questioned my sanity. Um, so because there was no one really to speak to, I had to learn to honor the fact that Mike and Kathleen were dealing with the death of Kerry in their own way, which which was not talking a lot about it, um, carrying on in their sort of introversion, and that I had to, um, for me, the new normal was 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 to what the, the challenge was 
do I speak to them about it or don't I? Are they um, are they really worried about certain things which they patently must have been? But is it my right to force them into a conversation or to, to force them to think about certain things? Or do I need to stand back and honor their way rather than uh, the way that I thought was better in even if they are introverted, that you at least talk about what's happening to you. And, um, yeah, so I, I chose I chose to honor their way, which was very, very difficult for me. Um, and as it turns out, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll come to the questions later about what happened with Mike, but he didn't deal very well with it. And in retrospect, maybe I should have tried to speak to him a little bit more. So the first part of the new normal was the, the silence in our home. Um, the second part of the new normal was that as a mother, I um, was still very involved. Kerry was only nine when she died. So uh, very involved with, you know, getting them to school, packing their lunches, uh, lifting them, uh, watching their sport. Um, and suddenly, instead of having um, two girls to take care of, there was only one. So there was a well, there was a very big gap initially, uh, and then within about uh, eight months, our daughter Kathleen went to high school, where suddenly there was no packing of lunches because they were given lunch at school, and suddenly there was this huge empty space that was caused, well, it was empty time, a time when I would have been doing certain things for Kerry, suddenly there was nothing to do then. And combined with that was obviously the incredible heartache involved uh, with the, yeah, all the losses. When one loses a child, um, you, you, you think it couldn't have been God's plan. Uh, how could she be so young and miss out on so much in her life? Um, and then to start thinking a little bit more long-term on all the things that she would miss out on and therefore we would miss out on, you know, looking long-term to, uh, you know, her uh, uh, finishing school, going to university, graduating getting married, all those kind of exciting things uh, we felt that we had been deprived of. And very early on, we were very aware of the fact that that would be missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the new normal was, uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it was very empty um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was very heartbreaking because in our little village, uh, everybody knew us, we knew everybody, so the loss of Kerry was a very public one. And so the new normal was that suddenly functions that we should have been at, for example, her sports fixtures, um, et cetera, we were, we were not involved there anymore. So, uh, yeah, I think... Um, Put in a nutshell, the, 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 the new normal was 
uh, heartbreaking. It it was um, uh, it was quiet, far far too quiet, um, and the emotional challenges were starting. Okay, what? If to any degree, Sherry, would you say your knowledge, experience, insights as a, as a coach, um, as a vision life coach, did that help in the process at all? Well, it's interesting, Paul, because at the time that Kerry died, I actually hadn't qualified as a life coach yet. Um, however, you know, people who have known me my whole life said, you know, you were in training to be a life coach your whole life. In fact, you pretty much were that even uh, if it was in an unofficial capacity. Um, so I think that the, a lot of the characteristics, um, the insights, the approach, the introspection uh, that comes with being a life coach, once again, I was inherently blessed to already have a lot of that within me. Um, certainly, so that was uh, Kerry died in 2002. I qualified as a life coach in 2009. Um, and certainly, the skills that I have subsequently learned from coaching have helped immensely, uh, even though it is a little bit in uh, retro. Uh, you know, it came sort of eight years after Kerry had died, but our difficulties and hardships continued. Um, probably until about four years ago. So the skills that I learned, um, the tools I learned, the, the um, things like uh, meditation, how to meditate, um, how to uh, not overreact, how to try and really see something from somebody else's perspective and understand where they are coming from. Um, they all helped uh, immensely. And, and I must say that of, of all the tools that I teach as a coach, I've had to use every single one of them myself uh, uh, as a way, well, it contributed to um, helping Mike and I get through the difficulties that we've had. Right. Okay. So just to revert back, Sherry, to that, uh, if I may, that boxing metaphor I used about being flawed and actually being on the canvas. Now, that's, you know, that is one of life's knockout punches in anybody's, world, anybody's language. Yes. Actually, it didn't stop there, did it? Because metaphorically, while you were down on the canvas, life came and dealt you another sickening blow, did it not? Yeah, Paul, in fact, there were quite a number of little blows. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I like to describe it as um, like the aftershocks of an earthquake. You know, you've experienced the initial earthquake and then all the aftershocks start coming at you. Um, and so, the, yes, the, you know, there were uh, lots of the little aftershocks, but the, 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 major, the major aftershock for... For me, and it is very common amongst uh, couples who have lost children, uh, was the, the aftershock of our marriage and the fact that um, Mike couldn't deal with the loss of Kerry emotionally and uh, because he didn't really know what to do and how to behave, uh, it was the classic case of, of taking it out on 
our nearest and dearest. So uh, very early on in the in the after the loss of Kerry, um, Mike started exhibiting a lot of anger um, and 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 very changed behaviour. Uh, you know, up until that time, we'd been really blessed with a very placid marriage. Uh, we were very happy. Uh, we were the proverbial little happy family, you know, with husband and wife and two children. And um, uh, <clears throat> shortly after the death of Kerry, Mike started getting excessively angry and volatile. And um, the, so the, the, the big aftershock actually lasted for a very long time, uh, probably from... Uh, sort of mid two thousand and two, right up until twenty uh, fourteen, twenty fifteen. So we took in, looking at about thirteen years or so, and that was really where where I um, felt well. I called on my, my the resilience to just keep going. Uh, in that initially, I, I put my own grief journey on hold. So that I could uh, invest all my energy into our marriage and our relationship, uh, and actually, I made a mistake that I'm sure I would make again uh, if I knew what I knew then, um, which was I tried, in fact, to uh, almost walk Mike's journey for him because I saw that he was battling so much. Uh, what I know now is that we can't, we can't do the emotional work for somebody else. We can't deprive them of their journey and their learning. And that, in fact, that journey and that learning comes, I believe, in divine timing. And so for many years, Mike was really battling and uh, our marriage was completely uh, attacked. It got to the point where there was very little left of our marriage. Um, and then uh, on top of that, uh, Mike had an affair, which was really the, the very, very worst thing. Um, and that was like the, the death knell of, of our marriage. Uh, so, so, so that was the extent where it could not actually have, have been any worse. Um, however, uh, I realized that all of this bizarre behavior of my husband's was as a result of not being able to deal with the death of Kerry. And in um, recent years with, with subsequent counseling, that has been confirmed over and over again. Uh, so uh, I just would like to say that I really honor my husband in being able to speak about this because Mike, right from the beginning, when I started uh, doing bereavement courses, he said, please, please speak about what happened to us because it might just help one other couple. And if that happens, then it will have been worth it. So it is with Mike's blessing that I speak about the difficulties we had in our marriage and, um, uh, and, the, f and the fact that despite the fact that he had an affair, um, which was completely unacceptable to me. Uh, we did separate for a period of six months 
and um, and then we got back together again. And 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 he has worked incredibly hard at um, reinventing himself. Really, he finally realised that he uh, hadn't been dealing with Kerry because he didn't know how to, uh, even though he had been in counselling uh, with with psychologists for for many years. Uh, he had not been able to take on uh, take on board what they were saying. Uh, so the really wonderful news is that um, Mike and I are very, once again, um, very happily married. We've we've worked through all the the traumas and the uh, the betrayals. Uh, which is once again, you know, it, it was heartbreaking enough to lose a child. On top of that, I uh, then lost my soulmate, uh, lost our marriage, I suppose I can say, and um, and then to to still not give up and decide that um, I still loved my husband, and therefore, uh, even though his behaviour was certainly not particularly loving towards me. Uh, we needed to try and find a way for him to come to the realizations he needed to in order to heal first himself and then be able to heal our marriage. And um, and that has happened. We are probably um, in a much more honest marriage than we were when we first got married. However, the third, uh, there was a third uh, um, uh, wave as well, or a third knock on the canvas, as you say, when um, he got very ill and is still ill with uh, a combination of uh, diabetes and an autoimmune disease that is stress-related and has very similar symptoms to motor neuron disease, but it's not motor neuron. Um, so now we are we are faced with the challenge of uh, trying to keep his health relatively stable, and uh, in the last few months, it certainly has been that. I say wow, and I say wow, Sherry, because I think we've come to a point where I look at the wow, which is you know our acronym for words of wisdom in, in your story in the Speaking from a Heart's book, and I quote your words. The power of perseverance. Never give up on something you truly believe in. I mean, not. I mean, I think words words really don't adequately describe Sherry the way that you actually. That that's a nice fancy thing to put in a book, but the reality is, practicalities are here. Is a lady that's actually proved that not once, not twice. But three times she's in there she's fighting she will gain that victory she will not become that victim so i do you know, find those just a few words how many words are there one two three four five six there's about 11 or 12 words but in those 11 or 12 words sherry how you can encapsulate somebody's spirit such as yours so you know i fully fully respect it and commend that I mean, do you want to give us just a little insight into, although I personally think it says what it, it speaks for itself, but you know, those chosen words of wisdom, what was behind you thinking when you actually penned those? Yeah, thank you, Paul. I, I, you know, I really do. Um, uh, I, 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 my father taught me to never give up. 
um, whether it is on uh, <clears throat> on the sports field or, or whether it is in life. Um, you can always be a little bit better. You can always uh, put in that little bit more effort. And having said those words of, of really feeling that if you really, really believe in something, you, you, you must never give up on them. Uh, doesn't mean to say that there aren't some days when you do feel like giving up. Absolutely. You know, where it's just so overwhelming. Uh, and you, you wonder whether, whether you are losing your, your mind in trying to keep fighting for this thing. Uh, so it, it's not like, uh, it was all positive and all uh, uh, moonlight and roses at all. There were certainly some days where it was overpowering. Um, there were some days where I was just a little bundle of tears. But having, having said that, I allowed myself the, 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 the reality of those emotions. Um, and I think that's what helped me to pick myself up again and say, okay, so now we're going to live to fight another day. So the, I think the, the, in those words, the, the important ones are, if you really believe in something, you will never give up. You know, I never uh, stopped believing that I loved my husband, and therefore I was never going to give up. I think the challenge sometimes comes when you don't know if you really do believe in that person, whether you believe in love, whether you believe in the potential of where you're going. Um, and when you have doubts surrounding that, then I think it's more difficult to never, ever, ever give up. But if you're convinced of your emotion, if you're convinced that that is um, the path that you're wanting to take. If you're convinced on the value of that person that you're fighting for, uh, my belief is then to to never give up. And and I mean, many many of our friends uh, advised me to uh, just leave it, just you know, leave Mark alone. Uh, let's get separated, let's get divorced and, and let him try and paddle his own canoe. Um, because he hadn't been so, such a nice man to live with for a number of years. But they couldn't see the real picture. And, uh, and that's the other thing is, is that I've learned over, over time is that we can never really judge what is happening in somebody else's relationship. Uh, because we can all put on a, a front as to what is what is happening, and so when these friends came with the the advice that I should give up, um, it was very difficult for me, and and sadly many of them have fallen by the way, uh, particularly because I chose not to give up and I chose to continue my journey with Mike, and uh, um, it's still painful for me because I thought they were. Yeah, I thought that they were really true friends, but I don't for a minute regret the fact that that we fought so hard for each other and for our marriage. Yes, yes. What, why do you think such terrible things happen in our lives, Sherry? 
have you have you ever reflected on you know i have yeah paul i've reflected long and hard on on uh, you know difficulties and i do believe that um our souls are have a certain journey in life and uh, the hardships that come to us are uh, opportunities for our soul to grow and some souls don't have a lot of resilience and uh, therefore there's maybe not a lot of hardship that is uh, handed to them on a plate. Uh, I, I, I have huge peace in a way to know that uh, my soul learned from the, the difficulties that have, been, that have been tossed out at me. And there's a very controversial uh, theory that before our souls are born into our bodies, uh, that we have a little meeting and we decide what we're going to teach each other. So, for example, uh, in heaven, our souls of, uh, of Mark and Kathleen and Kerry and I would have met, and Kerry would have undertaken to teach the three of us about loss. And then when we, so we undertake, it's almost it's a sacred contract. Uh, we are then born into our bodies. We've forgotten about this contract that our souls have made. Uh, and then we start with our lives and the, the hardships start, start coming to us. And I really uh, like that theory because what it did for me was it said, well, you actually ask for this lesson so that you could learn how to overcome it properly and in a way that would be beneficial to you and possibly others. And therefore, you can't get down and out about it because you asked for the lesson. And so that is my, uh, I do subscribe to that theory. And when a hardship comes, I just think, oh, okay, well, this was obviously another contract that I um, have forgotten about, but it's coming my way. And so let me take it on and let me learn about it and let me battle with it and let me be weathered by it so that my soul is being weathered more and more with each successive hardship. Yeah, and that kind of reinforces one of my own wows, um, Sherry, when I talk about life champions emerge because they learn to let go of the pain from the past but not the yes. lessons learned. And if I'm hearing you correctly, yeah. that's, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And, and you know, when we're happy, Paul, there's no need to learn any lessons. We don't have to be uh, thinking about uh, certain things. But when we're in a hardship, then suddenly the questions come fast and furious. Uh, you know, how much can I fight? How much should I fight for this marriage? Is it okay to accept my husband back after um, he has had an affair? Uh, what are my principles about this? What is the loving thing to do? How does forgiveness come into our lives, not just as a word, but as an action? You know, all of those kind of questions will only come to you when you're suffering a hardship. And uh, they generally won't come to you when your life is going along quite smoothly. 
So if we can harness that hardship and and learn the lessons and exactly as you say, Paul, let go of the pain, but keep the lessons so that we can be better within ourselves. Um, and certainly that my job as a life coach, I do lots of workshops where uh, those lessons that I've learned, I'm trying to share with others uh, to help them realize that, that, you know, they don't have to become victims. They don't have to become completely overwhelmed. No matter how difficult their situation is, they can always find some kind of positivity. They can find lessons. They can find a way to be, which is indicating strength rather than weakness. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of your life purpose now, Cherry, where, where would you say that? I mean, has your life purpose changed as a result of these um, these experiences? I think it's it's become more clear, Paul. Uh, in that, for me, I, I was always a a person who liked to talk the deep and meaningful things with my friends. Uh, but I think what's happened in since the loss of Kerry is instead of just talking about making a difference, I'm actually doing it. I am, uh, uh, so the, the, the essence of my purpose hasn't changed. It's more that I'm more actively involved in making a difference, helping people to think about uh, how they're living their lives, um, to try and spread the word, the, the, the soft words, to live by, uh, you know, compassion, forgiveness, kindness, uh, caring, uh, self-compassion, maybe even more than general compassion, um, to be able to live our lives where we are honoring of each other and building of each other rather than uh, seeing each other with, with, with judgment, uh, seeing each other with uh, criticism, and trying to push others down in order to make ourselves better. So a big part of the, all those beautiful soft words that I mentioned before is also humility, um, to be able to realize that we are just people and we might be people who might have suffered a little bit more than others, but we still are just people. And if we can spread kindness and, and actually put love at the center of all that we do in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships with our friends, um, then I think we're making a significant difference. Absolutely. So what would you say to anyone, Cherry, that, um, that said to you, well, I haven't got a life's purpose. I don't know what my life's purpose. Do I need a life's purpose? What would you say to people that, that, that would level that out here? Yeah, abs you know, absolutely you need a purpose because it's like a, a beacon in your life. And when you come to a crossroads, uh, if you don't have a life purpose, it can't guide you. So, for example, um, one, of my, uh, one of the parts of my life purpose is to be a good wife and mother. Um, and if I didn't have that as my life purpose, then possibly when I came to the crossroads with Mike and I, 
if I wasn't guided by the life purpose of I want to be a good wife and mother, maybe it would have been easier to get a divorce. But because my life purpose was a beacon shining there, it helps guide you so you keep on the path that you have chosen. Um, it keeps you on um, so that all your decisions are congruent with your beliefs and your values and then ultimately, ultimately your life purpose. So to get back to your question, Paul, if you don't have a life purpose, uh, I would say it's so, so important to discover it. There, there are various different um, methods and techniques you can use. But to find out what your life purpose is, because then you have absolute clarity about what you need to be doing in your life. And it keeps you literally on the straight and narrow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I want now, Sherry, if we can, to, um, because this has been very, um, what's the most appropriate word? And this, this really is, I think, difficult. Not difficult. Difficult's the wrong word. I'm, I'm proving my own point here by the appropriateness of words. Um, because I think it's such a profound, deep and emotional, inspirational story. So to use that word inspirational, Sherry, I personally find you massively inspiring because of the, I, I know I've got the benefit of knowing you because of, you know, this is not just about a, a story against adversity around faith resilience. This is actually me knowing and having the benefit of knowing a very, 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 congruent and compassionate human being. That is inspiring. But let me flip that, Cherry, if I may, and say, who's the most inspiring person you've ever met? Who inspires you? Where do you take your, your sustenance from? Oh, big question, Paul. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, uh, the, the first answer to that question has to be from my faith. Um, I was born and brought up a Roman Catholic, uh, and then uh, since Kerry's died, really, um, even though I've always had a strong faith, it has uh, deepened, and it's also become much wider, much broader. So uh, I'm very all-encompassing when it comes to, I suppose you could call me more uh, spiritual now than religious. So, so I've, I've had immense uh, inspiration from uh, reading spiritual books, um, uh, the Wayne Dyers, the uh, Demartinis, um, uh, Stephanie Dowrick. There are a lot, I mean, I would, don't want to do all the authors, but the, the books that have got a deeper meaning to life. I found uh, they broadened me, and, and that is really what inspired me hugely. Um, so, so in answer to that, the first thing that, that has inspired me is really my faith and what uh, other human beings are thinking and what they are trying to, uh, how they're trying to live their lives and that threw out an, uh, like a challenge to me, really. Um, in addition to that, as far as, as people are concerned that have inspired me, 
My parents are amazing. Um, they're both still alive. Uh, my father's 88 and my mum's 82. Um, and they have always been very stable, very positive, very uh, caring, uh, very calm. So, so they've, they laid a huge groundwork in me to try and be the same, um, to know that any problem that's out there, we can find a way to move around it. And it's that resilience, I think, that, that comes from, from my, my parents. Um, and then I think the other person that's inspired me huge is my, my sister-in-law who uh, showed me how to really care. And uh, for probably the a whole year after Kerry died, um, she phoned me every single day. Uh, she didn't. She lived about an hour away, so it was difficult to visit. But she phoned me every single day with support, with care, with questions, um, and that for me was very inspirational. In that, in a busy day, in a busy life, to find one hour a day, just about every day for a year, is an, a massive investment of time, and that's what she gave to me. So I feel it's the least I can do to give to others. So I think those are the, it was my faith, my parents probably, and my sister-in-law who, who really have been uh, the people that have inspired me the most. Thank you. If, if there was one piece of advice, Sherry, that you'd leave as your legacy, just one piece, I mean, I'm assuming now, um, I have no right to assume, but I'm assuming that it's something different to your wow that we've already spoke about. So, okay, let me reframe it. Forget, if we may, the very powerful message of your wow, wow. And let me ask the question, what would be your legacy? What would be the one piece of advice that you'd leave behind you to the world? The one piece of, of advice that I would leave to the rest of the world is put, put love at the center of all you do. And surround yourself, or, or not surround yourself, put love at the center of all you do and um, challenge yourself to always act with kindness, care, compassion, uh, and humility. And I think that would be uh, a wonderful uh, lesson if we could all live our lives according to those beautiful words. Absolutely agree, Sharon. I have a little wry smile on, on listening to you with that. Um, if I may share a, a comment mm. that's come back to me on more than one occasion, um, because my background is very stark um, and it's been, it's been written about, so it's kind of out there in the public domain, but very stark, very challenging. Um, and it was based on addiction and violence. And when people from the past that know me, that knew me then and kind of seen the, I suppose, the transformation that's taken place, and they said, well, what's happened? And basically my answer has been what you've said. It's, oh, wow. it's around love. Oh, you've gone soft. You've gone mm -hmm. soft, have you? And uh my answer to that is very simple. It's a choice. I can either go soft, as you refer to it, or I can live in a hard place 
where there's no hope, uh, despair, addiction, violence, rule okay. Tell you what, to use a horse race, racing metaphor now, it's a one horse race. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, uh, Paul, I, uh, I honour you in your journey and, and, and where it's brought you to, but I think what happens very often, if it's your choice to learn from those hardships, is that we do uh, end up being uh, uh, firstly courageous, which is the one word I haven't used yet, uh, courageous to make that choice, but we are naturally wired, neurochemically, we are wired for connection, for kindness, for compassion, for forgiveness. Uh, neurochemically, our bodies are built to do that. But sadly, life throws the hardships at us, which will often drive us to those hard places, you know, to the addiction, to the crime. I mean, our own country is absolutely riddled with crime, uh, all the anger of the, 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 the young teenagers. Um, but I think what I'm trying to say is some people get trapped in that being hard because they have to be hard. They think they have to be hard. Yeah. But it actually takes far more courage to be soft, I think. Yeah. Because I, I you totally, are. Yeah, I totally agree, Sherry. Yeah. It's, a, you know, it's the power of vulnerability, isn't it? It actually takes a real strength to allow yourself to be vulnerable where that healing, where that self-forgiveness, that self-love is found. Because as you alluded to earlier on, you know, we can all put that facade out there. I did it for many years. I used to call it my roaring, particularly with guys. What I was really saying was, don't get too close to me because I'm emotionally bankrupt and I know you can hurt me. And yeah. so I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm going to, I actually self-sabotage because I got in first and I contrived situations that were totally unnecessary, but it was an expression of my pain, my suffering. It wasn't about them, it was about me. So it absolutely, yeah, to have the courage, I think is probably the right word for me to say um, I have a conscious choice here and I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable. I'm going to allow myself to be human because that's who we all are. And no matter how good we are acting with that facade, well, that's all it is. It's a facade. So peel back the layer. That's exactly. And, and, and you've put in a nutshell already what happened to my husband, Mark. He also, he had to put on this big front, uh, uh, which was a very arrogant, horrible front, uh, very uncaring and, 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 because he was so, he was hurting so badly inside and didn't know what or how to do it. And I, and I do think it's much more difficult for men to be human and to be soft because our society kind of frowns on it. You know, as you said, your friends are, are wanting you to stay being hard, but actually um, gentleness is, uh, is something that uh, comes naturally to men as well as, and I just look at the difference in my husband now, and he is completely authentic. He is gentle. He is soft. He is um, incredibly caring. Uh, and he has allowed that work to be done in him so that he now is, I believe, 
really reaching his full potential as a human. When we have those facades and those fronts, which are purely to protect ourselves, we're not anywhere near reaching our potential. And so part of uh, one of the things that drives me in the work I do is to be able to break through those facades and say, let's let that go. Let's let all of that hardship, that addiction, the, the crime, the abuse, let's let that go and let's embrace your real potential when you use all those beautiful soft words and to see the change in people's lives when they embrace the softness as opposed to the hardness, or maybe I should say when they embrace authenticity as opposed to facade. Yeah, it's what I term one of the things certainly interesting you, you um, single out or focus on the male energy, the, the masculine part of that. I've got a saying, big boys don't cry. Well, let me break that stereotype straight away because this one does. And dealing yeah. within that process. Mm, absolutely. So, Terry, it's been an absolute pleasure to have spent time with you. And please accept my sincere gratitude for your invaluable insights. I know, um, as I say, from our conversations in the past, I think it's incredibly brave of you to, to, to bear your soul um, for the benefit of others. I, I really do. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. No, thank you, Paul, for giving me this opportunity. I'm very honoured. So all that remains now is for me to extend gratitude to you, the listeners, and I hope that you feel you've benefited from Sherry's amazing experience and wisdom. Until the next time, take care and sincere best wishes. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.